Thank you to the three of you for playing for us tonight. I'm going to invite you all to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21. As we continue our study of Matthew's gospel, we come tonight to verses 12 through 22 of Matthew chapter 21. One of the things that is before us this evening is the account of Jesus cleansing the temple. And um, you, you might wonder, well, I thought he did this early in his ministry according to the Gospel of John. And now it's here kind of toward the end of Matthew. What, what's up with that? Well, what's up with that is that he did it twice. He cleansed the temple at the very beginning of his ministry. And John records that for us. And he also cleansed the temple near the end of his ministry. And Matthew records that for us here In Matthew chapter 21. So Matthew 21, uh, we'll read verses 12 through 22. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, did you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, It will happen, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I never cease to be amazed at the power of Christ and the majesty of Christ and the amazing deeds of Christ as we read through the Gospels. Uh, You and I do not have perfect knowledge. We cannot read people's hearts and minds. We cannot know people's motives with infallible understanding. But children, what about Jesus? Does Jesus know all things? Does Jesus perfectly know what's on our hearts and what we're always thinking? Yes, because he is God. He knows all things and he examines all things with perfect understanding. And we're going to see that tonight as he examines the worship in the temple and as he examines this fig tree, we are again reminded of his perfect knowledge, his infallible understanding of all things. And and these are really the two things we're going to look at tonight. First of all, Jesus examines the temple and, and then Jesus examines a fig tree. And, and both of these have a tremendous application to each one of us as Christians and, and to our congregation. So first of all, Jesus examines the temple. Now, let me um, remind you all of the chronology here, the, the timeline. 
Last week, if, if you were here, you remember we saw Jesus, he goes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We, we know that day is Palm Sunday. We, this is the, the, the final Sunday before Jesus dies on the cross. As we come to our passage tonight, it's now the next day. It's now Monday. And remember, it's Passover. And so Jerusalem is, is filled with people. Upwards of half a million people have come into Jerusalem for Passover. And, and so Jerusalem is, is bursting at the scenes with people and, and the whole city is stirred up wondering who is this man who just rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And, and Jesus now enters the temple. Now when, when Matthew says Jesus enters the temple, what he's talking about here is what we know as the court of the Gentiles. This was the, the, the outer region of the temple where anyone was allowed to go. And in that court, there would have been a, a number of tables on which people were conducting business. Some people were selling animals. Some people were exchanging money. And, and you might wonder to yourself, well, why were they doing this? Why were they in the court of the Gentiles um, selling animals and exchanging money? Well, first of all, when God's people would come to Jerusalem, it was often because they were going there for a feast or a festival. And when you went to Jerusalem for a feast or a festival, you had to bring a sacrifice. And the sacrifice you brought had to be an unblemished sacrifice. And so you'd bring one of your own animals with you as you made the journey to Jerusalem. But there was a risk in that. Specifically, there were a couple things. First of all, your animal might die on the way that you travel there. You wouldn't be hauling your animal in a trailer behind your truck. Your animal would be walking along with you as you made the trip. And often that trip took several days. And so your animal might die on the way to Jerusalem. And, and if you get to Jerusalem and your animal's dead, you don't have an unblemished sacrifice to offer for that festival. A second risk was this. You, you might get to Jerusalem and your animal might make it to Jerusalem with you. But once you get there, they might examine your animal and they might not agree with your assessment that this is an unblemished animal. And so they would say that this is not an acceptable sacrifice. You've got a problem. You don't have, either because your animal died or because it's not unblemished, you don't have the proper sacrifice to offer for that festival. Well, to assist those who might get to Jerusalem and either have a dead animal or not an unblemished one, the high priest, who was a man by the name of Caiaphas, Caiaphas made a decision that uh, people could come in and sell unblemished animals in the court of the Gentiles. And, and so you didn't have to worry about it. You didn't have to take your animal with you and make the trip to Jerusalem. You didn't have to worry if your animal was unblemished. You would just go to Jerusalem, and there would be these pre-certified unblemished animals that you could buy. Now, of course... They would jack up the prices. They, they were doing this not just to help God's people. They were doing this to make a buck. It's like um, if you've ever been to Disneyland. You, you, can, you can take your lunch with you into the park. You can put it in your backpack and have your you know, stinky bologna sandwich with you all day. Or you can, you can haul your water bottles with you. Or you can buy it more conveniently. You can buy food in the park. It's going to cost you $100 for a family of four, but, but you can do that. And so that's kind of what's happening here. For, for convenience sake, you can buy your animal there in Jerusalem. Now, in addition to individuals who were selling animals, there were also money changers. 
You, you see, when, when you went to Jerusalem, you would have to pay the temple tax. And you couldn't pay the temple tax with, well, a credit card. They didn't take credit cards. You couldn't pay the temple tax in a, uh, a Roman coin or a Greek coin. You had to specifically have Hebrew coins from Jerusalem. And so if all that you had on you was Roman currency or Greek currency, you could go to the court of the Gentiles, you could go to the money exchangers, and they would exchange the money for you. Now, once again, of course, there would be a cost. There'd be some kind of um, uh, exchange rate, but at least you'd have the right kind of money. And so Jesus enters the court of the Gentiles, and he sees this going on. And children, you notice that Jesus is very upset He's furious. Verse 12 tells us he's so furious, he drives all these people out and he turns over their tables. Now, why was Jesus so angry? Why was he so upset? Because Jesus is very concerned about worship. He's very concerned about the atmosphere and the purity of worship. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. It wasn't sinful to sell animals. It it wasn't sinful to exchange money. But what was sinful was profaning God's house of worship. I mean, think about, we, we, we are disconnected from the first century, obviously. We don't, we don't fully understand the significance of the temple. But, but think, if you can, about the significance of the temple. The temple was the place where God met with his people. It's the place where confession of sin took place. It's the place where animals were offered as sacrifices. It was a holy, holy place. But, but instead of being treated like a holy place, the temple had, in a very real sense, been turned into a shopping mall, a place where business was conducted, selling, buying animals, exchanging currency, making a profit. And so Jesus quotes from Isaiah 56, and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That that word prayer refers to all of worship. In other words, my temple is to be a place of worship, not a shopping mall. By, by allowing the, the selling of animals right there on the temple grounds and by, by allowing the exchanging of currency, the, the focus on worship had been lost. Now, there is no temple today. We're, we're thankful we don't have to go to Jerusalem and do this. There is no temple today, but that doesn't mean that you can read this passage and check it off and say, nope, no application for me. There is application for us tonight. Think about a couple of things. First of all, We see Jesus here righteously angry. And and we see Jesus here acting as what we call the second Adam. Children, I want you to, to think back to the very first book of the Bible. Children, you know that the very first sentence in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Genesis 1 talks about God's great work of creation. He spoke and it came to be. And then chapter 2, God puts Adam in the Garden of Eden. And and he says to Adam, Adam, I want you to work the garden and keep it. That word keep is very interesting. 
In the original language, the word keep means to guard. Adam, I want you to to work the garden, and I want you to guard the garden. I want you to guard and protect the garden from evil, from, from the serpent. But Adam didn't do that. When the serpent came in, Adam should have crushed his head. He should have crushed the serpent, but he didn't do that. He let the serpent in. He allowed the serpent to profane the holy garden. Jesus comes here as the second Adam, and he's guarding and protecting the purity of the temple. He's protecting the temple from that which is profane. He's doing what the first Adam failed to do. And this is very important, this is very significant, because in doing this, we are reminded of Jesus' perfect obedience offered for us. We are reminded that we have a Savior who did what Adam didn't do. And what you and I couldn't do. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He kept all of God's commands, including the command to guard the place of worship. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. That's talking about the first Adam. So by the one man's obedience, meaning the second Adam, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. And so every time you read this passage, every time you think, children, every time you think of Jesus driving these people out, driving out that which profanes worship, do you realize he was doing this for you? He was doing this for you, Christian. He was doing this for me. He he was doing this so that through faith in him, his perfect record of obedience would be credited to us. And so don't don't read this passage without seeing the second Adam doing what the first Adam didn't do so that we might be righteous before God. And then secondly, again, we are reminded that Jesus is very concerned about our worship. He's very concerned about our worship. Two things to consider. First of all, Jesus is very concerned about what takes place in our worship. Worship, you see, is not a free-for-all. Worship is is not something where we are at liberty to say, you know what, I think it would be nice to do this in worship. And so let's do it. I'm going to give you a story from 38 years ago. I was, a, I was a sophomore in college, and a couple of roommates and I, um, we, we decided to go to a church that was close to the campus that day, and it was a very, very well-known church. It was a large church. It was, it was very close to our campus, and uh, as college students often do, we were running late, and we, we got there, and we, we hurried into the sanctuary, and when we got into the sanctuary, the place was packed out, and the only available seating for the three of us was right in the front. It was actually right over here. Right in front of the Davises. We were put right in that front row. Now, it's going to get worse. We're put in that front row, and the service begins, and, and two men and one woman come out dressed in tight purple leotards. And they start right over there, they start doing this liturgical dance. Trust me, being in the front row was extremely uncomfortable. But, but it raises the question, 
Are we free? Are we at liberty to do anything we want to do in worship? Are we free to have liturgical dancing up on this stage? Are we free to have people running down the aisles waving flags, as I've seen in churches before? Are we free to do whatever we think might be right? Now, before you think, well, you know, David danced. The three people in purple leotards weren't the kings of Israel. And and David wasn't in a corporate worship service. My point is this. We are only allowed to do and worship what God commands us to do. The Lord Jesus Christ is very concerned about what we do in worship. If, If you have your Bible with you, take it and turn to Leviticus chapter 10. There were two men, Nadab and Abihu, who thought that they could just do what they wanted. That they were, they were free to introduce that which hadn't been done before into worship because they thought that it was a good idea. Leviticus chapter 10, take a look at verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and authored This word is very important, unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. Nadab and Abihu apparently thought that that they could worship in a way that God had not prescribed. God had not commanded. It was unauthorized worship. But they were wrong. And so, brothers and sisters, we, we can't say, well, it doesn't matter how we worship God. It does matter. Our worship must be regulated by the word of God. And, and this is why it's very important that, that the consistory of this church regularly examine our worship and ask and answer the question Does what we do in worship line up with the Word of God? Are we being faithful to Scripture? Jesus is very concerned about what we do in worship. Secondly, though, Jesus is also concerned about the heart with which we worship him. He's not only concerned with the content of our worship, he's also concerned with our hearts. Now surely, the the temple ground was bursting with activity when Jesus came into it. There was a lot going on in the court of the Gentiles. Animals are being purchased, money is being exchanged, Hundreds of thousands of people are there. But but Jesus suggests that for all of the busyness, for all of the activity, the hearts of the people were filled with greed. Makes me think of what Jesus said to the Jewish religious leaders in Matthew 15. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It is important that we do what God commands us to do in worship. There's no question about that. But it's possible to have all the right order to our worship, 
We can have all the right elements in place. Nobody's dancing, nobody's waving flags, nobody's doing things that that God doesn't say to do in his word. We can sing songs that are, that are filled with, with sound doctrine and, and biblical truth. We can, we can sit and listen to God's word as it is read, as it is preached. We can do all of those things. But we can still have hearts that are far from God. It's not just doctrine. It's not just sound theology. It's also our hearts. It's also the hearts with which we worship him. This is is why it's important that we prepare ourselves for worship. Maybe maybe it means you you get up early enough so that you're not rushed to church on Sunday. Maybe it's um, getting into your pew a few minutes early and and read the passage that I'm going to preach on. Maybe it's um, praying before the service. While you sit in your pew, Lord, help me to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. But whatever it is, it's important that we understand that Jesus wants us to worship him from the heart. And parents, isn't that what we want for our children? We want their hearts. We, we not only want to catechize them in, in right truth and sound doctrine, that is important. But, but we, can, we can teach our children all the catechism we want, and they can memorize all the right questions and answers, but, but just go through the motions. The heart is so important. And so Jesus cares. He cares very much about, about the content of our worship, and he cares about the heart with which we worship him. Jesus cleanses the temple, and, and, and notice now what happens in verse 14. He does all this. He turns over the tables. He drives these people out, and it says the blind and the lame come to him. And he healed him. He healed them over and over and over. Isn't it amazing the kind of people who are drawn to Jesus? The hopeless, the weak, the unimportant, the marginalized. They were people who recognized their need. They recognized that only Jesus could meet their need, and they, they're drawn to him. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm so thankful that that Jesus never fails to show mercy and compassion to the needy. That's how he's dealt with us, right? Now, now we may not be physically lame or physically blind, but we were by nature spiritually lame and spiritually blind. And each one of us came to him in our great need, and he did not turn us away. He did not say to us, well, come back when you've memorized a little more. He received us. He will never turn us away. And and what is true of our Savior should should also be true of his people. We we ought to be those who seek to show mercy and and compassion to the needy. Again, I think of the new ministry that we started with the, the homeless camps in Stockton. And thank you already to those of you who have contributed to that. It's a wonderful way to to serve the needy in our community or the opportunity we're going to have soon to minister to people in Turkey. Jesus did not turn away the needy. And, and we are called to be those who love and care for the needy as well. Now, the religious leaders, they, they don't like this, of course. They, they don't like the fact that, that people are shouting praise to Jesus. They don't like the fact that he's healing the sick and the lame. 
That doesn't surprise us. The, the self-righteous, that's how they are. Their, their religion is a heartless one. They don't care about others. They don't care about the needy. What they really care about is that you know how wonderful they are. And so they don't like what Jesus is doing. But Jesus does it because he loves people. He loves those who are in need. Christian, he loves you. He will never turn you away when you come to him. Well, Jesus examines the temple, and now he goes on, he examines the fig tree. Jesus becomes hungry. Children, that that reminds us that Jesus had a truly human nature, right? Still has a truly human nature. He became hungry, he became thirsty, he became tired, just like we do. And he's hungry, and and he, he looks ahead in the distance, and he sees a fig tree. Now it's springtime here in Matthew 21, and and this fig tree would have had some leaves on it. I don't know a lot about fig trees. You probably know more about fig trees than I do. I I like fig newtons, but I don't know much about fig trees. Um, but, But fig trees usually produce fruit in the summer and early fall. And, and so if it's only the spring at this time, there, there may be leaves on this fig tree, but, but there isn't going to be any fruit. But one thing I learned this week about fig trees is that even though they don't produce fruit in the spring, fig trees will typically have these, um, these little buds on them that will eventually produce fruit. And, and apparently, even though they don't um, taste very good, you can still eat those little buds. And so Jesus sees this fig tree, and he sees that it has some leaves, and he expects, because this is how it normally happened, he expects to walk up to that fig tree and find some of those little buds on it. And again, even though they don't taste very good, he he figures this will be some nourishment for his hungry body. But children, what happens? Jesus goes to the fig tree. What's he see? Nothing. There's no buds. All that's on the fig tree is leaves. And so Jesus curses it. May no fruit ever come from you again. And and immediately the fig tree withers. And we go, that's weird. What's the point of that? Obviously there's more to this than than Jesus just, you know, cursing a fig tree because there was nothing to eat. This is a real life parable. This fig tree is a picture of Israel. This fig tree is a picture of God's covenant people. You see, when Jesus looks at this fig tree, he expects to find fruit on it. He expects to find at least a bud. But he finds nothing. And when Jesus came to this earth, he expected to look at his covenant people and find some kind of fruit. But he found nothing. This is very similar to what he saw at the temple. At the temple, there was a lot of activity, a lot of busyness, a lot going on. On the tree, there were leaves. A sign of fruit. But at both the temple and on this tree, there was nothing of any real substance. This is a warning to us tonight of the danger of a religion that is merely ritual. All head and no heart. And I think as Reformed Christians, as a Reformed church, We especially have to guard against this. We're very concerned about doctrine. We love doctrine, rightly so. But there can be the time and there can be the possibility that we care so much for the doctrine itself that we have failed to see how it is to impact our hearts. And so as we 
move forward as a congregation. It's, it's vital that we teach our children from a young age not only to love truth, not only to love theology, but also to love the Lord Jesus with our hearts. Jesus looks at this tree and sees nothing. He looks at the temple and in a very real sense he sees nothing. It makes us think of the church in Sardis in the book of Revelation. We studied this, I think, back in November. You remember what Jesus said about the church in Sardis? He said, you have a great reputation in the community. You have a reputation that you are alive, that you're happening. You got everything together, but Jesus said you are dead. You're dead. How do we battle against that? How do we guard against being a fruitless fig tree? Well, the counsel that Jesus gave to the church in Sardis was very simple. It's the counsel he gives us tonight from his word. Confess your spiritual apathy. Turn from your spiritual apathy. Come to me for forgiveness of your spiritual apathy. And cry out to me to renew your heart. And to give you a love. A love for Christ. A love for his word. And he will. Jesus is a great Savior. He's a wonderful Savior. He will save and forgive all who come to him in faith. We, we must look away from ourselves and look to him. We must love him for what he's done for us. You see, hypocrisy often sets in when we're looking at ourselves all of the time. We're looking at our performance. We're thinking about how we're doing we're trying to, to worship and to live the Christian life in our own strength. And if you're like me, you know that's easy to do. But we must look away from ourselves and look to him. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at at the end of this passage. Notice verse 20. The disciples see what, what's happened and they say, how did the fig tree wither at once? They're, they're blown away that Jesus could just curse a fig tree and it withers. And he says to them in verse 22, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, you might read these last three verses and, and it seems very disconnected from the rest of the passage. Right? Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus curses the fig tree. Both of those are, are, are powerful warnings about the danger of hypocrisy, the, the danger of an empty, barren, ritualistic Christianity. And then there's this part about prayer and moving mountains. And we, we go, that doesn't really connect. But again, one of the antidotes to fruitlessness, one of the antidotes to hypocrisy is, is to recognize our need, to recognize that we need to turn away from ourselves and cry out to God. Prayer is a fantastic reminder of how weak I am. Prayer is a wonderful reminder of how much I need the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, as we think about the implications of this passage, as we think about the stern warning that this is of a religion that is heartless, that is just going through the motions, let us be reminded tonight of how much we need Christ, how much we need him. 
how much we need to cry out to him. Whether it's loving your spouse or serving in the church or raising your children or carrying out your duties at work or school, whatever it is, we can't do it in our own strength. John 15, Jesus talks about bearing fruit and and one of the most important things he says there is this, when it comes to bearing fruit, without me you can do nothing. You can do nothing. When we turn in on ourselves, when we focus on ourselves, when we we simply go through the motions, we, we turn Christianity into this ritualistic, heartless religion. But when we understand our need, when we understand our dependence, when we cry out to God in prayer, he will hear us. This is not a blank check that the health, wealth, and prosperity guy gives you to get whatever you want. You want that Ferrari? You can have it. Just believe. That's not what this is about. This is telling us tonight we need Christ. We need him so that we will not be a church that just goes through the motions, but that we will love him with our hearts, hearts that are amazed at what he has done for us. And so, brothers and sisters, tonight, as as Jesus has cleansed this temple, as he has cursed this fig tree, let it be a warning to us in our own Christian lives and the raising of our children to be on guard against a religion that is heartless, that is ritualistic, that is just checking boxes. But instead, let us again be reminded of how much we need him. May we look to him and cry out to him so that we will have both head and heart for his glory. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for those passages that you give to us as very sober warnings about the danger of Christianity and church life that is just uh, going through motions. Lord, help us again to realize our utter and complete dependence upon you, that we might cry out to you, that you might renew not only our minds, but also our hearts. Lord, we pray tonight for the hearts of our children, that they will love you, that they will desire to serve you out of gratitude for the great work that Jesus has done for them. Give us, Lord, a trust in you and give us a a walk with you that is not only head but also heart. We pray this now in 